Hello and welcome to another episode of the China Path podcast. I'm James Scullin from the Australia China Business Council. If you're yet to subscribe to our podcast, you can do so by searching for China Path podcast in the iTunes Store or listening via SoundCloud or the ACBC website. On this episode, we discuss rock lobsters with the Geraldton Fisherman Cooperative that exports nearly 4,000 tons of rock lobster each year. The majority of which is now exported to China. We speak with the co-op's Matt Rutter about the rock lobster journey from off the Western Australian coast to the Chinese dinner table. We also discuss the importance of Chinese relationships, the impact of chapter, and how to reach and understand your target market in China. Matt Rutter is the Geraldton Fisherman Cooperative's general manager for marketing and business development. Matt has spent the majority of his career working with cooperatives, where he's gained over 18 years' experience trading and marketing food and food commodities worldwide, and he's built a reputation for developing new markets for food products across the globe. I spoke to Matt on site at the co-op's Welsh Pool Live Export Facility, where 80,000 kilograms of live lobsters swim in tanks below us, awaiting their flights to China. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here today in Perth with Matthew Rutter from the Geraldton Fishermen's Cooperative. Thanks a lot for taking the time today. Yeah, thanks, James.、Um, so, Matt, to begin with, what is the Geraldton Fishermen's Cooperative, and, and how does it work? So, the Geraldton Fishermen's Co-op was formed in 1950 by a group of rock lobster fishermen in Geraldton, which is north of Perth, about four hours' drive north of Perth.、Um, And these fishermen were purely rock lobster fishermen who saw an opportunity to get involved in marketing their own product and cutting out the middleman. Okay.、Um, so quite progressive back then. It was formed. It's it was formed under an act of West Australian Parliament as、oh, an、right. association or a cooperative. Okay. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it's like any other company in Australia, except that、um, it's actually a cooperative, which means that we serve、um, or we exist to serve our members, as opposed to、um, service serving shareholders. So、okay. Our primary focus is to build short, medium, and long-term value for our members. So we're not focused on making a margin between our fishermen's price and our customers' price. Our sole goal is to increase、um, and get the best possible price for our fishermen,、um, and we market under、um, our product is marketed under the Brolos brand. So back then, in 1950, they formed the brand called Brolos, which is named after the Brolos Islands, which is about 60 kilometres off the coast of Geraldton. Okay. And that Brolos brand is as long as nearly 70, 70 years old. Just like our co-op, right? And、mm. the the main product is rock lobster. Yeah, it's solely rock lobster. So, okay.、Um, we don't deal in any 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 other、um, seafood, and the Western rock lobster is actually Australia's most valuable fishery. So it's a、mm. very big fishery,、um, around about half a billion dollars worth of product annually、um, that's caught off the coast of WA. And it's、um, the other good thing about it is it's very sustainable. So、okay. it's a very healthy fishery, really managed well by the fishermen and by the industry as well. So it's、um, it's more than enough to keep us busy. Right.、Yeah. So what proportion of those exports are destined for the China market? So around about ninety five percent, give or take,、okay. uh, ends up in China. And in the last ten years, China's really 
grow and to become uh, the main market for for Western Rock Lobster. Whereas historically, a lot of our product used to go started off going to America and then it started and then it moved to Japan, Taiwan. Um, and a lot of those, all of those markets were frozen. Mm. Um, when China came on board, the whole industry changed and started focusing on live exports. Okay. And uh, China just values our products so much that they've, they've paid the price and taken volume away from all those other markets over that period. And so when you say China came on board, is that being rock lobster is a, is a new type of food for Chinese people? No, it's more that they came to Australia and, and started uh, ramping up their, their imports. So rock lobster grows worldwide and mm. they have eaten rock lobster for, for generations. Okay. Um, culturally, it's a very significant product. Um, so it's just that they started buying it in volume from Australia during right. that period. So I believe it's called dragon shrimp when yeah, translated so called Mandarin? Longsha, which is uh, dragon shrimp, that's right. So it's... Looks like a dragon. It's red in colour, so it's very auspicious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how is it consumed differently in China? Uh, so it tends to be eaten and consumed for major celebrations. So it's an expensive product. It's one of the more expensive um, seafood products. Yep. So it tends to be destined for celebrations like weddings. Chinese New Year is a really big period where families get together and have, you know, spend money on special dishes. Yep. And it tends to be a shared dish. So whereas in Australia we might have a split cray on the barbie mm. um, with very little seasoning and those sorts of things, uh, it tends to be consumed, you know, in the middle of the table, bite-sized pieces, a lot more flavourings. Um, but having said that, China, the cuisine in China is as diverse as, um, sure. you know, the different regions. So yep. whereas in some regions they like the big crayfish in the middle of the table um, done a certain way with noodles. In other areas they might prefer, you know, um, the smaller the smaller sized or sashimi and those sorts of things. So with it being Chinese New Year, the Chinese New Year period now, has, is, is this generally your busiest time of year? Yeah, this is definitely our busiest time of the year. So the last two weeks, um, we've just got on the other side of Chinese New Year. In the last two weeks, we've done record volumes uh, of exports into Fantastic. China. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, to you know, ten different cities across China, and the volumes have just been spectacular. Oh, and we're lucky as well that the season actually starts on the fifteenth of January every year. Okay. So it's a twelve-month fishery, um, and the fishermen can catch. A certain amount over the 12 months but on the 15th of January they've got a fresh quota which means that they can catch as much as they like and that's when the prices are good so right um, it times really well with Chinese New Year oh, which great. Is a few weeks after that okay so what is the journey for a rock lobster from the Indian Ocean on the coast of WA to the Chinese dinner table yeah, so fishermen tend to go out and fish every day. So they'll go out early in the morning, catch their, catch their um, quota for the day, bring it back into our facilities. So we have facilities up and down the coast. We have about 240 tonne of storage across, uh, across the coastline. Yep. And uh, first up it's graded, so we grade and put it straight back into water as quickly as possible. Um, and then from there we have a dedicated truck fleet which has um, uh, which keeps the crays in good condition yep and we bring it down to here where we're sitting today which is the Welsh pool uh, export facility which we opened last year yep 
Uh, every step of the way it's rested for a little while uh, to the point where finally it's put into foam eskies okay. uh, or foam cartons and wood shavings and um, packed into export containers and put on planes and sent up to China. So it's actually transported out of water um, from our facility here in Welshpool until it arrives in China um, maybe 20, 24 hours later. Right. But we've got the technology behind that fairly good now, that fairly well, that the quality when it arrives is the, the crayfish are literally jumping out of the box. Right. Um, so the most important thing is time to market, get it back into water as quickly as possible, and yep. um, it's as fresh as the day that the fishermen caught it. And so you, you can't transport it in water? You can, but it's a lot more expensive for weight, yep. and um, it's actually more technically challenging because of the waste product in the water in terms of keeping the water oxygenated. Um, they actually breathe better out, out of water for that period of time, and. Um, if you were to transport it in water on planes with oxygen bottles and those sorts of things, yeah. you know, there's extra weight, there's safety okay. issues and those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it's by far and away the best way to transport them. Okay, so what are the challenges then of exporting rock lobster to China? Are there any quarantine issues, issues with flight time? Um, do you experience IP theft in the market? Yeah, so there's certainly a lot of challenges. Uh, being a live seafood, one of the biggest challenges is logistics. So getting it to market um, as quickly as possible and um, so that the product is as fresh as possible when it arrives is our biggest challenge. Mm. Um, there are issues going into China with different ports, um, have different interpretation of import regulations and yep. those sorts of things. Yep. So. Um, as an example, some ports are still using a deemed value for import um, product, which means that the customs will assign the price against which custom, uh, customs duties are calculated, as opposed to others which are now calculating um, customs duties based on the actual invoice price. Okay. So understanding those sorts of things are really important. Yeah. Um, and yeah, IP theft and just general mislabeling of product in China is, is uh, for seafood in particular, is quite a big issue. Okay. Because you find that the local consumers don't really have a deep understanding of what the different species are. So you see a lot of product which is classified as Australian lobster, which is clearly not lobster. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Those are some of some of the issues, um, but like any export market, there's there's a lot of you know a lot of challenges. And so, how many ports do you currently export to in China? So we're currently exporting to around about ten or eleven ports okay. in China. Yeah, so all of the major tier one cities, um, as well as Hong Kong. Some of the product also goes into Hong Kong through Shenzhen to clear into the local Shenzhen market. Yep. And then a lot of the tier two, tier three cities as well. But um, we can offer wherever there's a good connection, um, a good flight connection, we can offer product anywhere in China within sort of 24 hours. What about the holding facilities in China that uh, Brolis now has? How much of an advantage has that been in market? Yes, yeah, so we now have facilities, holding facilities in Beijing, Guangzhou and Shanghai. Okay. And it's been a huge benefit to us. Um, admittedly, they're only small, um, small facilities, but it's been a huge benefit because we also have a China company set up, so we now have the ability to deliver to our China company 
um, and hold live lobster in market in those major th- tier one cities. Okay. Which means now that we can also market products in real time into the local market. So um, the vast majority of what we do is still direct to seafood distributors. Yep. But we're also now starting to explore new opportunities with Chafter in terms of being able to supply um, products via e-commerce into consumers' homes, so live lobster to consumers' homes, okay. as well as to some of those smaller um, seafood players who are not big enough to import themselves, we can supply them out of our facilities. And so did you establish that China-based entity as a wholly owned foreign enterprise or did you pursue the JV route? No, so it's a wholly owned foreign enterprise. Okay. Yeah. So we set that up just after the announcement of Chafter yep. um, and have been sort of gradually building that so that we've got the ability now to deal as our own company. So it's quite a unique um, situation for a group of fishermen. So remembering that we're owned by fishermen, now own um, a company in China, yeah. which can then deliver direct to consumers in China, which means that the consumers are buying direct from the fishermen. And, and so Chafter gave you the, the confidence that there would be a lot of growth, um, that having that wholly owned foreign enterprise in China would you know, definitely pay dividends. Yeah, yeah. No, we we were very confident in China being continuing to be a major market for us. Okay. And we knew that having that that company would give us options. Yep. Admittedly, we didn't know exactly what those options would be, but mm. we knew that having the options would be of benefit. Okay. Um, but also back to your question around JV or partnerships. Um, it's important that, you know, and we we take very much the view that you have to partner with companies in China, so you don't want to just set up your company and think that you're going to go it alone because you can't. Right. Um, but that company gives us the ability to have relationships and commercial relationships with Chinese companies, and you can partner as a, as a legal entity in China. Um, so it's slightly different to the JV or partnership route, but it gives you the same benefit, but probably a little bit more control. Mm, okay, well, speaking of Chafter, what effect has Chafter had on the pricing of lobster exports? Yeah, well, it certainly helped. Um, so our tariff was initially 15%, yep. the import tariff, and that's dropped down now, 1st of January 2018, it's 3%. And it goes down to zero um, first of Jan next year, and it's definitely helped to increase um, uh, interest. I think the big thing that Chafter has actually done is it's raised the profile of Australia. So mm. we're getting a lot more um, companies coming to us from China now who are interested in dealing with us, and. Um, the the tariff benefit is definitely helping us to compete against you know the other origins and and so forth as well so mm. it's um yeah it's been a huge benefit to us so you you find you get a, more approaches from chinese buyers that have heard of chafter yep. um, and are looking for further examples to to import from australia yeah yep yep definitely i think um chafter's opened up a lot more markets in china and um with those markets comes new new customers mm. and um, yeah we're seeing a steady stream of new and and different customers as well so not just the traditional seafood distributors we're seeing you know bricks and mortar retailers yep. supermarkets who have live seafood sections and those sorts of things it's um 
yeah, there's a lot of opportunities, and um, it's. I think that Chafter has really given the confidence in the Chinese mm. buyers to come to us. Great. Um, and so, what about marketing in China? So, obviously, you know, you mentioned that Chafter's raised the profile of Australian products. Yep. Um, how how much of a challenge is it marketing in China for lobster? Yeah, so I think you need to break down the market into different segments. It depends who you're dealing with. So yep. a lot of our product still goes through the distributors. Okay. And um, the challenge with Live Lobster is um, that you can't really value add it. You can't do a lot to a Live Lobster. You can't yep. um, do much to, um, you know, you can't put it in packaging or add flavouring to it while it's still alive. Yep. Um, so with those distributors, we tend not to do much marketing past the traditional B2B or business-to-business marketing of giving them confidence in our supply chain and those sorts of things. Yep. But we don't give any of them um, permission to use our brand because okay. once it comes out of our branded box, um, the mislabeling that I talked about earlier becomes an issue and, and if our brand is on a product which we have no control over the supply chain, okay. it can be really damaging to us. Um, so, yeah, with the business-to-business distributors, we tend not to do much um, branding past selling to them as distributors. Okay, yeah. Um, but we do have, we're also starting to develop now the business-to-consumer or B2C side of things. So e-commerce, we're selling on JD.com and Tmall.com and okay. also in discussions with some of those bricks-and-mortar retailers. Yep where we do actually have IP agreements in place. And um, so we've trademarked all of our, all of our um, marks. Yep. And they're all protected and we have very strict rules around what partners can do in terms of um, promoting our product. And one of the biggest things for us there is quality control, making sure that if we give a company permission to use our brand, that we can see they've got the quality control in place that when a consumer sees our live lobster in their tanks in a store somewhere okay. in Chengdu or wherever, that it it um, fits what we want the brand to, to be. And so do you find that um, going through the e-commerce channel has opened up opportunities to second and third tier cities? Yeah, it well, it actually hasn't for us yet because of the logistics challenge. So okay. we can only service a certain area around our hubs or our, our live holding facilities. Okay. Um, so for us, it hasn't actually opened up as yet, but um, we are looking at those other markets with other partners like the bricks and mortar um, retailers and supermarkets that have wet sections and those sorts of things. Okay. So, um, yeah. So Matt, how have you had to modify your brand for the China market? So our brand is nearly 70 years old, as I said before, and but one of the big things that we did when we went into the China market was to make sure that we didn't go in with preconceived ideas. Yep. So the first thing we did actually was to go to tender to try and find um, a local marketing agency who could help us to navigate around developing a brand which resonated with the Chinese people. And, and, and so by local, do you mean English speaking based in China, like West, a Western company based in China? No, that wasn't necessarily one of the requirements okay. because I've got, we've got quite a lot of Chinese speaking yep. people on my team, so okay. that's not necessarily a barrier, but coincidentally we did end up 
going with and and choosing um, Silk Initiative, which is actually um, run by an Australian yep. um, and developed and built by an Australian. And Silk Initiative specialises in market research and understanding the product and the brand and what the what the bridge is between the two. Okay. So we did some um, initial research around and just basically started with a clean sheet of paper and educated, had focus groups where we talked about our product, we sent live product up there, tested different concepts of packaging, um, different concepts of messaging around the story of provenance and the fishermen and those sorts of things. Yeah. And um, so did quantitative, qualitative and in-market research, which was all done by Silk. And um, from that, we actually ended up sticking with the initial with the original Brolos brand, but okay. with some tweaks from a um, from a Chinese perspective in terms of the tagline that we that we've used and those right. sorts of things, um, and we found that that was one of the findings um, through the Silk Initiative research was that the consumers like that connection with with the brand, and our Brolos brand is actually partly a map of Australia, which is good. Okay, um, right. Yeah, so it was really interesting research and it's given us a really strong foundation from which to sort of grow. Um, and so what about on the ground in China? What organisations have you partnered with or worked with or do you look to for support to gain an edge in the market? So we we take the philosophy that you can't have enough friends and that you can't talk to enough people. Yep. And uh, so we're dealing with all of the government agencies. Certainly, Austrade has been a huge help um, to us. We our company set up in Guangzhou. The Guangzhou Australian Consulate has been a really big support to us down there as well. Okay. Setting yep. up the company and doing all those sorts of things, um, as well as just giving guidance and advice on the market. Yep. And if we're ever in a city, visiting in a city or doing promotions in a city where there's an Australian government office or a West Australian government office, so WA Trade, yep. we'll always give them a courtesy call and let them know what we're doing and they might get involved or they might have advice for us and we'll drop in and see them. Um, so certainly the Australian government agencies have been um, just invaluable mm. to us as well as the embassy. Um, and then other... Um, the other thing that we do is also link up quite closely with the Chinese consulate here in in Perth. Oh, right. Okay. Relationship with them. Yep. Um, and then the other thing that I think is really invaluable is just talking with other Australian companies. So Ostcham is a useful forum for that. Yep. Um, and just learning from others' experiences because I think it's safe to say that no one's an expert. Sure. Everybody has learned a lot of lessons up there. So um, having that that advice and that support is, um, is really valuable. Well, especially the China market is so live and ever-changing what may be the latest business trends from a year ago could be yep. completely different the next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, do you, so with 95% of your exports bound to China, are you concerned of maybe being over-reliant on the China market? Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about that in our industry and um, there has been some reports that say that we're overexposed to the China market, but if you look at the value that the China market's brought to our industry, yeah. um, the benefits far outweigh the risks. And I think now with Chafter as well, in terms of getting uh, multiple points of entry into China and um, expanding and diversifying our, our mix of customers, 
um, I think that those risks are fast diminishing. Okay. So, For other businesses that are looking to export into China, what advice do you have with them of grappling with the China market? I think you've got to go in with an open mind. Mm. I would advise not to go in with... Obviously, you have to go in with a strategy, but be nimble in your approach um, and go in and be willing to change because one thing that's definitely a constant in China is change. Sure. And it's, it's um, you know, the economy and its people and the consumers are all rapidly, rapidly changing. Yep. So um, I think that's one big thing. And have a strategy in terms of know what market you're going, you're looking to target okay. and how you're going to be heard in that market because um, there's so much competition in China. Right. You can't expect to just go in and all of a sudden everyone will put a spotlight on sure. you. Sure, um, yeah. You need to figure out a way for them to do that. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, well, thanks a lot for uh, offering your time today, Matt, and you know all the best with the future for the co-op. Yeah, thanks, James. It was a pleasure. My thanks to Matt and the Geraldton Fisherman Cooperative's insight into their China success. If you'd like to learn more about the co-op, you can access this episode's show notes at www.acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts. As always, if you know someone doing business with China that could benefit from the lessons of case studies such as the Geraldton Fisherman's Co-op, please don't hesitate to pass on the podcast to them. Also, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do visit the iTunes store and leave a review. Until next time, 再见。